how to create fulfilling work experiences. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. So every once in a while, we get a guest that is a phenomenal storyteller and example giver. Tracy Shirk crushes the game on bringing her words alive in a podcast episode. You're about to see what I'm talking about. But let me tell you about Tracy first. She is the chief talent officer at Elevated Talent Consulting and a partner expert of Predictive Index. And wow, the power of Predictive Index shows up so loudly in this episode. And Tracy is a podcaster herself. You'll hear more about that and her podcast and the focus there in just a few minutes. And okay, let's sharpen how we lead meaningful work. Get ready to take so many notes because she breaks down four powerful levers, like these key pillars, then have so many examples and ideas for us to try around being a leader that helps people to experience fulfilling work on the regular. Let's get with Tracy. Oh, Tracy, we're talking about one of my favorite topics today, how to create fulfilling work experiences. And I am so excited to hear your take on this topic and learn from you. So I am so curious to know, where does your heart for this topic come from? A crappy job. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Some of our best teachers. Absolutely. You know, and I think as we grow in our career, we realize that we need to be intentional about what we're creating and the career that we're actually in. And so much about creating fulfilling work is realizing and defining what is fulfilling to me. And then as leaders and organizations, figuring out what is fulfilling to our staff and how do we create it? And is it aligned with our organizational value? Yes. So curious when you're talking with someone else, mentoring, coaching in the work that you do, and really guiding them to understand their core and who they are and how to match that right fit. Are there any key tools or pieces of advice that are like your go-to back pocket to really inspire that connecting, fulfilling work to that human? Yeah, absolutely. So we use the predictive index as a tool. So we absolutely love the predictive index because there's really four levers that we look at when we look at creating fulfilling work. One is what is the job role and are you a fit to the role? The second thing that we specifically look at is Is your leader leading you the way that you want to be led? And that also is something that can be gleaned from predictive index. But quite honestly, it can be gleaned from any behavioral tool that's out there if you use it correctly. The third is the team. If you are on a team that turns up your strengths and your strengths fill the void of someone else's weaknesses, you stop playing whack-a-mole on, you didn't do that right, you didn't do that right, right? Like, not fulfilling. And then that fourth one is, are your personal values aligned with the organizational values, that culture? So those are the four things that we look at. And Predictive Index is a huge player in that. And then it really gets into coaching and that alignment and figuring out what makes you tick. Yeah, absolutely. 
I know when we were talking before, you were sharing that you're really passionate around this message of really centered in being versus doing. And how often are we like in action mode and tactics and taking next steps versus the being and like the insides of who we are to be matched to really experience fulfillment. Talk a little bit more about your heart on this message of focusing on the being versus doing. I'm going to tell a story with this. So when I was in an HR director role inside of an organization, I remember getting so frustrated by the constant folks that would come in my office and want to talk. I'm like, I'm not getting things done. I'm not getting things done. And then it was, hold on a second. That time that you provide to them in that space that you provide to them, you're providing the space without judgment for them to get off of their chest what is stopping them from being productive. And so this distinction between being and doing, if I was so focused on my task list, I would miss being in a relationship with this individual that's coming to me because they need something in order to be productive. And so often, I think as leaders and HR professionals, we forget that we need to be in relationship with others and we get things done through those relationships. And that task list will get done when we can inspire others to perform and value what they're bringing to the table. I love that story. And it's interesting that you just said providing space. I've been on a kick lately based on some research that I've looked at. It was inspired by an article I read on LinkedIn that I really dug into this. And the verbiage is around holding space as leaders. And I think all of us have the opportunity. It's kind of like being a better listener. Who doesn't have the opportunity to be a better listener? We all can sharpen that. No one's nailed it. It's a journey. Same thing with the holding space. And I think that's what you're sharing around providing space. Bring to life what that looks like. Maybe a couple of ideas on how to hold space for your people when maybe they're feeling like the role isn't a fit or they're struggling with meeting the mark on things or the team alignment. They don't feel like their strengths are being leveraged. Some of those levers that you shared Give us some of your suggestions on how we as leaders can get better at holding space or providing space as you use that term. Absolutely. And I will name that this is a coaching skill. So that coaching background, it's totally a coaching skill. So when we talk about holding space, there's a couple things that we want to do to hold space. One is you can't be thinking about, oh, I need to pick my kid up. Oh my gosh, I've got the dinging going on in Teams and my email. Like literally turn everything off. Not just turn everything off on your screen, on your desk, on your phone, but you've got to turn it off in your head so that what you're doing is you're holding that space for the other, that anything they say, you're holding that for them and you're not judging. So often we're listening to respond versus just listening to allow them to take what is in their head and say it out loud. Because what that does is that gives them the power to start to sort through what is true and what's not true. What do I want to do and what don't I want to do, right? And so going back to, you know, folks who come in my office all the time, I ended up buying one of those. It wasn't an hour timer. I think it was 20 minutes, especially with a couple of folks that would come in frequently. I'd flip that. And what they would know is they would have essentially that 15, 18 minutes just to vent and say all the things. And then, you know, I'd ask a question, say, well, how do you want to solve it? What do you want to do about it? And as HR, so often and as leaders, people come in and they drop their stuff on our desk for us to solve. 
that impacts our mental health. And quite honestly, it doesn't teach them to problem solve. So when we hold space, we're holding space, but we're also empowering them to solve their own problems. Oh, gosh, so many key takeaways already. Going back to these levers and some things I want to dig in on regarding being the leader that helps provide or guide an opportunity for fulfilling work for the people we lead. What are your suggestions on how we ensure that the people that we lead are a fit for the role? There's three key indicators that we look at. The first is the one that we've all looked at for the last 50 years, which is, hey, do you have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do the role? But the distinction is, will you do the job or can you do the job? I don't care if you can do it. I want to know, will you do it? So knowing the knowledge, skills, abilities, which we like to call the briefcase, is great, but it's going to tell us if they can, not if they will. We want to interview and match for that. And then we want to look at, hey, what are their personal values? And is that aligned with the organizational values? I'll give an example of that in just a second. And then the third is, hey, the job needs something very specific. Let's say it's an accounting clerk position. Guess what? This job needs to be very detail-oriented. The job needs to follow very specific processes and procedures. You need to do A, then B, then C, then D. We need somebody that's pretty analytical and that's going to work through the team. If we know that, then we're going to go find a person that has those natural behavioral strengths. And that's the key is aligning those things. And guess what? They change over time. For example, early in my career, I did payroll for the first seven years of my career. Am I behaviorally aligned for that? Absolutely not, because it's very detail-oriented. Why was I motivated to do it? Because I wanted to climb a ladder. And based on where I was at in my season of life, which is the fourth thing that gets thrown in there, is what is the season of life that you're in that's driving you to do that? That'll fall off as your career progresses. And then you had touched on the personal values and company values and making sure that there's some alignment there is one of the levers that you had shared, but you'd also reference it in this example. Help us understand what that looks like when someone's personal values don't align with the company values. Therefore, the sustainment of fulfilling work isn't going to happen. For example, I was working for an organization, fantastic organization. However, they were an organization that was very, very process focused. You had to have X number of reviews to send out a proposal. Everything had to be reviewed by three or four people. For me, that drive, 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 you know, there was a damper that was constantly put on that because for them, everything needed to be double and triple checked. That was a culture that I couldn't get behind for who I was and how I worked. It was also one where it was, hey, guess what? We don't care what's happening in your life. If you get a text or an email at 10 at night, we'd expect an answer to that, right? So that's a cultural thing. And I could tie into an example on this too. I'd love your feedback on like, yep, this is meeting the mark. I worked with someone that we had hired at a leader at one point in my life, and this person was amazing at systems development. They were really great at every step to guide the team, a great manager, and really great at efficiency. But one of our core values in the company was relationships and high touch. I think it was actually called high touch at the time. This person was all about automation. It was like, how do we use technology? Like, I'm not talking to them. We're building systems to align. So the work was so spot on, but our core value is high touch, having phone calls, meeting for coffee. 
Therefore, the sustainability didn't even last for a year because this person was looking at efficiency, making sure we're doing things through technology versus relationally. Is that hitting the mark on an example as well? Yeah, absolutely. And what I love to look at within those is automation is fantastic. And could we build in personal touch? So in your automation, could you ping Nikki to call this person? I like it. I'd love for you to share a little bit around what it means to lead others like they need to be led. Going back to those levers, you said one of them is your leader leading you the way you want to be led. How do we as leaders ensure that we're doing that well? There's a couple things here with this. So for our listeners, I want you to think about your leaders that you've had over your career and then think about how you lead. Are you leading because you're following in the path of someone that's led you? Are you leading because it's your natural style to lead or are you leading the way that person needs to be led? So those three different things, and I'll give an example. So often we're leading others the way we thought leadership was supposed to be. And my good friends at Real Good Ventures call this the boss hole zone. We can really easily step into that when we're not paying attention to what another individual needs. With that being said, when we're leading others, we're really paying attention to what the natural behaviors are. And of course, we use predictive index for this. So let me provide a couple examples. I'm someone who likes bullet points. Do not give me a 52-page book or give me a standard operating procedure. I'm not going to look at it. Give me the bullet points. However, if I have someone in a role, let's say it's an accounting or a director of finance role, they need the details and I need them to need the details. With that being said, they're typically going to be pretty process focused, like doing A, then B, then C, then D, and they need to follow through in that order. Now, I'm one where I'll pop in your office four times a day and be like, so Nikki, what about this? And hey, Nikki, I've got this great idea. And hey, Nikki, what about this? And so for you and I, that may work. For that individual that's very process-focused and really needs that time to zone in, every time I walk in there, it may take them two or three hours to get back to work. And once they have a priority, if I move their cheese, so to say, it's going to throw their entire day off. So if I'm leading them the way they need to be led, I need to honor that and I need to figure out how can we knowing who each of us are, work together to get this done. So it may be, hey, what would it look like if we just did a quick touch base every morning for five minutes so I understand what's on your plate? And if I need to reprioritize something, we have the ability to do it before you get to work. You're really illustrating well why a tool like Predictive Index is so helpful upfront in relationship building between a leader and a team member. Because think about how long without that tool to really discover self-discovery on both sides to help each other have those conversations, how long it would take and how much frustration, you know, where we're just coming in with an energizing new thought and ready to go, like excited. But if we know up front, like this is not the best way, we hold space for certain times where we're able to spend time on those particular topics and there's dedicated space. So we're leading with what they really need. Just so much power in a tool like Predictive Index to do that. You know, it's probably saving a whole year of time to be able to ramp up and provide such a more meaningful relationship for both parties. I know you had shared before when we talked that you like to illustrate the difference between transactional and transformational leaders. Will you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. This kind of goes back to the story we talked about at the beginning with, hey, I want to get my task list done. How do I get that done 
through others by empowering them, right? So a transactional leader and transactional HR is compliance-based. We're going to check the boxes. We're going to get those things done. Those are outputs, right? Transactional leaders are focused on outputs. Transformational leaders are focused on outcomes. So an output may be that we did 27 interviews this week. An outcome may be guess what? We hired three people. And looking back on the day that we did 27 interviews, not great. But once we became a transformational leader, we interviewed three people, we hired two, and they stayed for 10 years. The outcome then is retention in the organization, is profitability, is productivity, is they went and told 15 people about our organization and invited them to come and play with us, right? That's an outcome. An output is 27 interviews. An outcome is they stayed 10 years. So that distinction between so often transactional leaders are focused on check, 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 not what is the impact of those box checking? Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about one of the four levers is team alignment. And I want to talk about team alignment and also the work environment that they're in. You know, sometimes in our worlds now, we're not right next to each other. We're using things like Slack or Teams or whatever, right? That's very environmental for how we engage with our teams. But talk to us about team alignment for fulfilling work and the environment that we're in. What have you learned propels people in this space or what is most important in team alignment or setting the stage for the environment to make us most fulfilled in our work? Absolutely. And I love this question because this is where that cohesion and the trust and the I've got your back comes into play, right? One is what is the strategy that this team is executing on? Meaning what is the outcome not the output. And we have to have outputs, of course, to get to outcomes. But what is the outcome that we're driving for? What's the strategy that's allowing us to get there? And then we look at, all right, so who are the folks that are on this team? And how do we ensure that the folks that are on this team are turning up the strengths of each other versus playing whack-a-mole on the weaknesses? So let me give you an example, and I'm going to tie it into an HR policy. So an example is I was having a conversation with an HR leader that had a sales team and their sales team was kind of, eh, they were doing okay. They weren't doing great. So I started asking some questions and I said, well, tell me about how this team is set up. She's like, well, every single person has their own metrics to meet and every single person is bonused based on what they sell. I said, okay. And I said, so tell me a little bit about how that's working. And she's like, well, we're hitting our goals, but we're having a lot of turnover. And essentially, people are competing against each other versus competing against the organization across town. And I said, okay, so let's pull the predictive index. We use PI for this. I said, let's pull the PI on each individual on the team. And so what we found is that in sales organizations, typically you have what we call hunter salespeople, which essentially are going to go out. They're going to meet 100 people. They love, 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 love networking events, right? Because they can work the room. They can talk to each person. They're going to come back with 100 cards and go, look, I got 100 cards. Isn't this amazing? And you're going to go, what did you close? And they're like, I don't know, but I met 100 people. And then we have our farmer sales folks, right? Our farmers are amazing at building deep, 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 deep relationships. They don't love networking events. 
They go to a networking event. They're going to come back with two cards, but you know what? They're going to close those two sales. So often it's like that farmer is getting whacked on the head for not bringing in enough leads and not filling the lead pipeline. And the hunter is getting bumped on the head. Well, you didn't close it. You didn't close it. So what we did was we said, let's create some pods. So we created pods where we started putting together the hunter and the farmer. So when we put the hunter and the farmer together and we compensated, so if we think about the compensation story we're telling, we compensated based on these folks working together instead of competing against each other mm -hmm. so that they were each playing to their strengths. When we did that, this organization gave out more bonuses than they had in their 100-year history. Oh, wow. What a cool story. So Tracy, let's highlight all of these efforts that we're talking about to create fulfilling work. For example, we don't do a predictive index and then debrief, have a very meaningful conversation that shapes this person to make sure they're in the right fit role and that we're leading how they need to be led and then on the bookshelf from there. It's an ongoing effort, right? Because things change. Our lives change. We evolve. We want more. And so what does that consistent conversation look like? If you can give some examples for how a leader that does this really well, these four levers, making sure they're aligned, how do they illustrate this as an ever evolving effort to make sure that people are fulfilled at work? So there's a couple different ways to do it. You can use tools for it or you can't, right? Like you can do climate surveys and actually watch the data, which is fun. You can benchmark the data as far as I'm going to go data that I'll back into your actual question, okay? Because what I know about our executives is if we're going to spend money, I need to know that it's worth it. I need to know what metrics to watch because we know what gets measured gets done. So let's set our benchmark. What's our climate survey benchmark? What's our retention? What's our profitability? Pick your benchmarks and start there. And then as you're having these conversations for that leader, it is the relationship. It is the check-ins. It is the conversation. And of course, you're going to see it in the outcomes, which is what is your retention? What is your length of stay? What is the number of interviews that you're doing? If those number of interviews start going down, guess what? You know that you're doing something right because you're not needing to fill as many roles. And then with staff, it's also just checking in with them to say, hey, are you loving your role right now? Love the question of if you had a magic wand, what would you change about your current situation? And what you're doing is you're giving them permission to do that. And you're also learning and then taking action on it. Another tool of check-in that we like to do is instead of your performance reviews or your monthly or quarterly one-on-ones always being a one-way street of, hey, Nikki, here's how you did in the last month. It's, hey, Nikki, how am I creating the environment for you to be successful? And hey, Nikki, you hit these numbers this month that exceeded expectations. How did that happen? Or, hey, we've had this one area. What can we do differently for the next month? So we're creating a relationship in a two-way conversation. It's no longer a one-way street. So much that you're sharing really is rooted in leaders being great coaches. And so I can see where your work is so valuable in really transforming leaders that many times, like in the middle manager leader spot, you know, we're trying to apply this textbook stuff or this learning course stuff, but it's really the power is in being a great coach and not so much what we know and what we want to share, but like, how do we elicit responses out of what's inside of those people we lead? You're really good at that. 
So one great takeaway is just like, as a leader, how can I sharpen my coaching skills? And I think Tracy's given us like 10 things already. Tracy, I'd love for you to share a company culture that propels fulfilling work and maybe give somebody a shout out and take us behind the curtain of what that's like, or just in a general sense, what you see as a consistent effort among them. What does company culture that does a good job propelling fulfilling work look like? So I'm going to talk actually about one of my clients and how they solved the half million dollar problem. So they're a concrete company. It's called Midstate Concrete. And what they did within their company culture is they started looking at their leaders and saying, what is it that you need versus this is what you need? They no longer decided that they knew what was needed and they went and asked. That was one culture shift. The second culture shift that Sam, their HR manager, talked about, which is just brilliant, is the way they talk about their staff. So I'm talking about concrete pourers and those kind of things. So often these line level employees are talked about negatively in the executive level. Guess what? That goes through the entire organization. And that's a cultural thing, right? Culture is the behavior that we allow or don't allow inside of an organization. When we start talking about individuals for the craftsmanship, the attention to detail, I mean, the amount of detail and math and science that goes into pouring concrete is pretty incredible. But it's incredible what goes into it and the impact that it has on safety and on these buildings going up. So they shifted the way that they were talking to their employees and about their employees. And what it did is people started standing up a little bit taller, right? They started stepping into who they were and I have value here. And guess what? When we see people bigger than they see themselves and we see them as valuable and we talk about that, that's a culture. And that shifts into every single thing we do. And I think that's so important in so many of the fields that are out there because we're not doing it well. I love it. So Tracy, this episode has been so meaty. I'm sure there's all kinds of resources on your website. You've given us a great tool to think about if we're not using predictive index. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And leaders, this topic of fulfilling work, I have such a heart for it as well. And I was just really fired up for this conversation and to hear Tracy's perspective. There's so much that I learned in that. But I will say that as a leader, when you are helping to impact meaningful work for people, like Tracy was sharing, you know, when people stand taller, when people are feeling more valuable, the ripple effect that that makes in the homes that they are leaders in as parents and in their marriages, in the communities that they're in, every time that you're pouring into that to help them stand taller and feel more confident, it is helping so many more people. It truly changes the world. And no one, you know, to kick off, I said, Tracy, where does your fire for this come from? You're like the crappy experiences from the past. No one wants those, right? So all of us get to do our efforts to impact this. And it really does change the world. Tracy, I know you have a podcast. I'd love for you to do a quick plug on your podcast and we can link it out. And I suggest all listeners go check it out and follow. Keep this conversation going with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's called Talent Optimization with Tracy Shirk, and they're 20-minute episodes every week. And really, it's going through these four levers that we just talked about and very specific tactics, tools, and beings of doing that as well. And you talked about coaching earlier, Nikki. My favorite people to coach are mid-level managers and teaching them those very specific coaching tools because our mid-level managers and our mid-level HR is not taught how to coach, nor have they ever had a coaching experience. 
I will second that. We hear that so much in opportunities and needs of employers. I can't wait for you to be a new connection to share within our community at People Forward Network. So it's been great. Tracy, we're going to take just a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and then we'll come back to our quick lightning round where we get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you, which is always really fun. We'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. I'm back with Tracy Shirk on Gut Plus Science, and we're in our lightning round where we're going to get to learn a little bit more about Tracy. So Tracy, we always start with your favorite book of all time, or your favorite recent read for a leadership audience. We have an ever-growing list of maybe 375 books right now, so we would love to add yours. What book is that favorite that you want to add? It is called The Answer to How is Yes, Acting on What Matters, and it's by Peter Block, and it is an old one. But what I love about it is I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to say yes and be 100% committed to go get it. Great book. I don't think that's on our list. So thank you so much for adding something new. All right, Tracy, what always makes you smile? My kids, the funky things that they do or say, or the eye roll, or the fact when I go to kiss them in the morning and they're so much taller than I am, the only place I can get is the back of their neck. Tell us about your kids. Give a quick shout out. What are their names, ages? Their names are Quentin and Ethan. They're 15 and 17. And They know what they want to do, which is amazing to me. I've got one that's going to be a pilot, and the other is three sports, honor roll, all the things, and committed. It's amazing. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And Tracy, what is currently at the very top of your gratitude list? At the top of my gratitude list is my community. Often as leaders, we're giving, giving, giving that we don't know how to receive. And in the last six months, I've learned how to receive out of necessity. And I'm so grateful for those lessons. Beautiful. And Tracy, before we go, can you give our listeners the best way to connect with you after the show today? I'm all over LinkedIn. You know, you'll see our podcast on there and it is Tracy Shirk on LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll link that out in the show notes as well. All right. So here's my truth you can act on from Tracy. As I shared in the intro, you know, I knew we were going to go into really understanding that there's four key areas. And for someone like myself, I don't know if you're like me where it's like, I love to have the core rocks or the key pillars. So these four areas to focus on that she called the four levers. One is, is the job a fit for the person, like job role and fit for that human? The next is, Am I as a leader leading the way that that person needs to be led? And am I designing a team that all strengths are leveraged and noticed and valued, right? That team dynamic. And then finally, are my people's values aligned with our company values and the values on this team? So I love having that framework as one truth you can act on. The second is the power of providing space. And I kept seeing how valuable Tracy is as a coach and great leaders are really good coaches. So we have so many tips to pick up on. As I was hearing Tracy, she just had a lot of insight there. Providing space is a huge opportunity for us to show up as better coaches and leaders. 
And so bringing that to life, allowing people in a non-distracted environment, meaning both of you non-distracted, take everything else out of your mind and focus on this topic that I'm here to just allow to be heard and letting the person talk and asking powerful, open-ended questions that allow the people we're leading to help solve those problems. Like they have them inside them so many times. And a great coach finds solutions inside the people and asks great questions to figure that out together, co-creating those. So holding space is just so powerful. The next is around, are you intentionally understanding what it is that your people need from you to be the leader that they need? And Tracy and I talked about, it's an ever-going journey It's not a one-time thing of like, we took this assessment, we understand who each other are. It is an ever ongoing journey to make sure that that relationship is strong and that we're really spending time getting to understand each other and what is most needed. And so how can you maybe sharpen or have deeper conversations with people that allow you to be leading them the way that they need to be led? And then finally is the importance of data for a sustainability factor in all of this is how is the data being collected to help us understand is fulfilling work truly happening consistently or where are there certain pockets in the organization that we need to pour into to help advance and knowing that some are really in a great place right now and to be celebrated. So it's a consistent effort. That's the key takeaway. So many great opportunities to learn in this episode. Thank you, Tracy. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.